All right, so I'm back with some new episodes. I'm sorry it's taken me a while to get around to it. I've been doing content on my YouTube channel and Instagram, but I haven't really got around to updating the the podcast side, which I apologize for. But I highly encourage you to follow my YouTube channel. Um, and you can just look me up under a Todd Atkins show or Todd Atkins and you'll find me there. I'm going to start doing episodes, all my interviews and all my uh, MMA Conspiracy Hour, all that kind of stuff live on YouTube. So you can uh, ask questions there if you want to. So uh, just check out my YouTube channel, Todd Atkins Show or Todd Atkins. If you want to look it up there, you'll find it. And uh, you can ask questions there and all that kind of stuff. So this episode is going to be about the uh, McGregor, Conor McGregor versus uh, Michael Chandler, ultimate fighter announcement. And uh, Miguel Edorati joins me and we kind of just break down the uh, dynamics of this. And uh, so this is a new episode of the MMA Conspiracy Hour and I'm going to put out a few episodes today. Check it out. All right, so this is Todd Atkins, and I'm back with Miguel Adorati, and this is another episode of the MMA Conspiracy Hour, and we're going to kind of talk through this latest uh, announcement of Conor McGregor and uh, Michael Chandler on uh, Ultimate Fighter Season 31. So, Miguel, I kind of want you to take it away and kind of give me some of your initial thoughts on this. Well, you know, in many ways in, in the MMA world, this is one of the announcements that the people have been waiting for, you know, when is McGregor going to fight next, you know, I think him and John Jones were the two big ifs most of last year, you know, and uh, he's been healthy, you know, we'll see how he goes, uh, you know, into this fight. I don't think it's a hundred percent official yet. And so we'll see. I think there's a lot of details that are questionable here. Um, and though McGregor is the big name, I think he has fallen back to the pack. And just the fact that they're asking him to do a season on the TV show and, you know, that's hard work, you know, to be there present and not, you know, be able to take a day off or whatever it is. It's when you're on a TV schedule, it's a very different ballgame. They're asking him to do a lot of work for what he's going to put in there, more than they have in the past. Because if it's just promote the fight, do, you know, a tour on, on the airplane, you know, London and Ireland and then New York and Vegas or whatever, you know, whatever their tours were, that's not the same as being locked down in the house, you know, for eight weeks. And as a coach, you might not be that, but they're going to, he's the focus. They're going to have a camera in his face all the time. You know, it's interesting what you just brought up. It isn't technically official yet because he's not even in the USADA pool. They don't have a date. They don't have a venue. They don't know what the weight's going to be. Would this, I mean, you, you match made hundreds of shows. Would this make you nervous if you were in that situation? Yeah, you know, McGregor is, you know, you know, he was always kind of a little bit of a loose cannon guy. And, you know, what has happened over the years, add to that, you know, the famous term FU money, you know, because he now does have FU money, you know what I mean? So he doesn't really have to march to the beat of anyone's drum but his own. Now you're asking him to come to a TV show with some secrecy involved and all that type of stuff. And, you know, it is a little bit up in the air how his personality is going to handle that day in, day out, you know, and how they're going to handle it. He may ask for, you know, no, I'm going to come in, shoot a couple of scenes, and then I'm out of there. And he may be a big enough star to get that. You know what I mean? But all that stuff will have to be worked through because, like I said, him locked in a house, you know, for eight weeks in, in the typical, uh, you know, fashion, 
or eight, they're trying to get eight weeks of television filmed with him as the main focus. You know, Chandler obviously will, would also be a focus, but come on. Um, yeah, I don't know if he's ready for that. I think that that would be something I, I, I'd worry about. Contractually, he's maybe obligated to do it. And McGregor, you know, when he just had to put in a hard training camp, there's eight weeks there and, and that sort of stuff. Not, he's a big, you know, he's been focused. He's talked in the past about, you know, how he uses his mind and vision things. And, you know, there was some book that was the influence. You can look all that up. But is he so diversified now and is his focus and that type of stuff on, you know, his his businesses and building his whiskey and, you know, even his his public image seems to be a little more important than fighting in recent years. So is he going to be able to dedicate eight weeks directly just to fighting and be on television doing it? Yeah, you're in, you're in a situation where that's volatile. Yeah, and they need them to fight at the end of the season. So it's not like they can say we can just delay, delay, delay this, you know. Yeah, yeah, they could put it off a little bit, but I think I think that that's what they will use also to bring him back into the Usada pool and stuff like that is the time that he's there and have him pretty much monitored just to make sure everything goes right. You know, the problem is is what happens if it goes wrong and, you know, if it's on camera or whatever, you know, then what's the impression there? So, yeah, I think I think that's it's interesting because, you know, what are they going to be on season 30 something, you know, 31. So, yeah. So you're, you're in a situation where, you know, scripting and things like that, they've already done just about every option and variable that they can try to make up and, you know, letting a, a big personality like him run wild just might be the next step. Now, what do you think? We talked a little bit about this offline, but what do you think, you know, Dana just had his incident. Connor's been accused of something recently. We don't know where the what the status of that is, but is it a little bit? I mean, this is the UFC, so like you were saying, it may not even matter. But is it a little shaky to bring him in, given you know that he has accusations with a woman? They just had this embarrassing thing with Dana. Is it a little, maybe a little odd to do it so quickly? You know, Todd, we've had. Uh ongoing conversation across podcasts and i don't mean to just be you know beating a dead horse but this does fall back to dana's contract and i think here you see a great divide i see i think that when zufa sold the ufc to endeavor that that contract gives dana as much authority as you can imagine for anything that goes on in the ring fights roster roster management money offers you know everything like that is all in Dana's world. How does the power aid thing that we covered last podcast happen? Um, that might not be because it falls under corporate sponsorships and you can have lawyers figuring that stuff out. And that's how you get maybe Dana in an uncomfortable uh, press conference with Jake Paul. But this falls firmly into the Dana world. And we already know that Dana really doesn't care. That Dana really, at this point, like I said, Dana's got the Bob Aram style written all over reveals. He might die of a heart attack at 60, but if he's a, alive at 85, he might still be head of the UFC at that age, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I think it's in J, 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 Dana's jurisdiction at that point. This is where, when he says things like, I don't have a boss and stuff, this is where he can flex and show that aspect, show what he means. Plus, if anything came of it, they could just... You know, probably cancel and go another direction anyway, right? 
Yeah, you'd have to have a backup plan, I think. Obviously, I think they, they're good at backup plans. I mean, they've even been making public at times, you know, who the backup is for a title fight and how he made weight also and things like that. So it's part of the ongoing story. And again, once you're investing television money, even though the UFC is a company with a lot of money, when they're investing television money, it's different than investing, you know, they're investing in the season. They want to get eight weeks of television out of it or 10 weeks of television out of it, put a big finale on after it and stuff like that. There are goals and financial, you know, uh, touch points that they are going to have to make. And, um, you know, that, that's what's going on there. I, I think that's the only thing that the financial guys will care about if everything goes okay. They'll be, they're willing to ignore it. But Dana, if if something goes wrong, we'll have less support with the big company. And it may not be enough to kill him there. Like, And I'm talking about he goes to Vegas and three days after getting there, you know, he's beating up waitresses in a casino. You know, and Connor might not do that. You know, uh, probably won't. He's probably clever enough to, to do it. But if it goes completely off the rails, you know, one of the girls gets really hurt. You know, if it goes completely off the rails, yeah, they, they'll have a backup plan. But the plan is McGregor full force. And this is where I'm, I'm you know, I don't know. I, I'm not. His personality hasn't changed that much, and I don't think that's an eight weeks of television personality. He gets he gets annoying. But I mean, he did it before with Faber. Yeah, that's a long time ago. You know, for he was a forty fiber. You know, and that's before. You know, you I think you could take him for uh, before and after Mayweather. To, yeah, I mean, you know. that kind of leads me in my next question. I wanted to ask you. I mean, obviously, he has money. He doesn't need to do this. Why do you think he came back at this time? He's, he's you know, I, I wouldn't accuse him of being like, you know, a guy who likes to pat his record, a guy who likes, I think he does think of himself as the best fighter on the planet. I think that's a big part of his persona and his inner being and is in their thinking um you know there are a few guys that you could that it crosses over you know like with john jones you also get that same sense you know like you know john's had his problems and things like that but when you sit down and analyze like you know his berating of like daniel cormier a very high level athlete you can tell that winning is everything to john jones you know and i think that at some point connor fits that bill. I don't I would never say at this point that Connor's a poser of a fighter. I think he's a real fighter. And I think at some point that bite to comeback comes in. I think it's an influx of cash and money that also helps the business. Um, you know, it, he's probably making less than the Mayweather time. So uh obviously at some point motivation, that's why he's doing other things to, you know, bring in more money and stuff like that. And at this point he's a corporation. So you don't know what you're gonna get in the ring until we see it. But I think you know Dana's ready to take that chance, you know, for 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 payday at the end of. All right, Miguel. So I wanted to ask you a question. We kind of talked about the season. We've talked about some of the different aspects that you know people should consider. Now, what do you think about the fight itself? You know, it's an intriguing fight. You know, McGregor talks big about his comeback. You know, he wants title shots and things like that. The UFC's putting. 
a tough guy in front of him, you know, to make it look good in terms of, um, you know, making him work instead of just gifting him a title shot, which, you know, wouldn't have surprised many people, you know. So in, in, in essence, I think it's a good match. I think what makes it interesting is, you know, McGregor spent a year on social media, you know, basically almost advocating steroid use, you know, I mean, with like, you know, like he, he was really bulked up in some of the pictures that he saw. He made conversation about, you know, possibly fighting heavyweights and things like that. And now he's got to come back to 155. I wonder, if, you know, what if he enhanced every one of those pictures a little bit, just to look a little bulkier every time before he put it out there, just to send a different message. I, who knows what McGregor is capable of, but the weight will be an issue because at 155, it'll be interesting if McGregor gets there safely and, and healthily. Um, it's been a long time. And um, Chandler, obviously, you're talking about one of the elite guys that's out there right now. I like what Chandler brings to every fight, but, you know, of the guys in the division, you know, Chandler is a guy that has some disadvantages against McGregor. McGregor's got a lot more reach. Um, you know, what McGregor has is is elite precision. And you've seen that. We've seen that. That's, that's not just talk, you know. I mean, when Mark Kern knocked out Ranger Stott with a knee, it was like, wow, elite precision. But, you know, Ranger Stott was not Jose Aldo or Eddie Alvarez, where, you know, those fights were basically changed with, you know, one punch and then maybe one or two punches in the Alvarez fight. So... He's elitely precise, and the other guy is much stockier than him. He's even stockier than Alvarez and stuff. So he's going to have a lot of reach advantage. And if he touches him first and hurts him early, Chandler tends to want to wade into a firefight. And again, that precision comes in. He's going to hit. He can hit people. You know, don't underestimate that talent. He came in with power, and he came in with precision. And he showed it against high-level guys. And I think Chandler, in his style, might be susceptible to that. It could go that way in in Conor's way. And then, you know, we're on, all on the Conor McGregor wave all over again. Um, and that could be, you know, what they expect. Obviously, Chandler is going to disagree with me, and I respect that. You know, I'd like to see a different fight, for sure. But I do, I do sense that, you know, of the guys available, Chandler was the one with the most disadvantages against the McGregor type. Yeah, my concern for McGregor, like, you know, if I was Dana White making this fight, is that, you know, he's not the same guy he was when he was training all the time, which Chandler does. You know, Chandler's a, a maniac. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, he, he's, he treats the game like he's still trying to get up there, which he is trying to get up to a title. So he's still living that lifestyle and still, you know, so that's my concern. I make this fight and maybe Chandler makes mcgregor look ordinary or maybe he just turns ordinary you know because he isn't doing all the things that he did before look i'm gonna, I'm gonna give some advice to chandler you're a bellator champion you know you've come to the ufc you've made a big splash fought their upper echelon guys established that you belong there without question and you know you're making money you're making better money with the ufc probably you're making decent money but this McGregor fight is that shot, you know? So now here, here's two ways to take about it. And this will tell us a lot about Chandler afterwards is, is 
Chandler's a pretty elite level wrestler. You don't see it a lot in his fights. It, it, you know, in some aspects, obviously you do because you can't, you know, he stays on his feet, but, um, but you don't see him taking people down and doing things like that. And, and, you know, I wonder, I wonder if, what would happen if he took a Ben Askren approach to this fight and decided to wrestle with him and, and just, I don't think McGregor is going to submit him in five rounds. I, I think conditioning will be an issue that favors Chandler in that respect. And Chandler could, bore, you know, that's considered a boring fight, but it shouldn't be because that would be a tactical weapon that, you know, unfortunately, if you think it's going to be a boring fight, that's a tactical weapon you're taking away from Chandler. Chandler's chances of, of certain five rounds, uh, you know, against uh, someone like uh, like uh, McGregor, a striker like McGregor, are similar, I think, to Couture's against Lydell. He has to fight an absolutely perfect fight for five rounds and avoid the other guy's equalizer. And Randy couldn't do it standing, not against Chuck. And I don't think... Chandler, I, 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 you know, you'd be gambling it to say Chandler could definitely last five rounds in a stand-up fight with McGregor. I think that that's, I think Chandler's got to use some of the wrestling, which he's been averse to using, and he's definitely got a shot, and it would be great. But, like I said, I think in terms of matchmaking, I think McGregor has the stand-up advantage, and that's not the case with Poirier. Um, you know, Gaethje is, is a, probably a little physically smaller than McGregor, too, but Gaethje's striking would be a, a different ball game for McGregor, uh, you know, fighting a near equal maybe or something like that. that. Those are all more difficult fights than Chandler, I think. Yeah. I mean, I see why they made the fight because stylistically, unless Chandler wrestles, like you said, if he fights like he usually does, it might be willing to be coerced into doing, you know, by, by right. the brass or whatever. If they say, Hey, we want a firefight. Will you go out there and do it? You know? That wouldn't shock me if they, you know, if they've already kind of told them that. You know, and they do that in <laughs> subtle ways. Bonuses, you know, encourage you to do, you know, that type of thing. Um, you know, who knows if there's other, you know, under table money that that's there and and things like that. Sponsor, you know, additional sponsorships that could go be turned their way or not turned their way. So yeah, I think when they decide to make a guy, you know, it goes back to the Fertitta days. They like to make stars, and when they when a guy's selected. A guy select. I think Poirier is a good example of that. You know, he fought hard, he got picked, and then all of a sudden now he's off diversifying. He's gotten some access to, you know, I think he has a, a hot sauce, you know. It's not whiskey, it's not, you know, the, uh, but it is a, a, an outlying business. That Stanford, he wouldn't be in the hot sauce business if he hadn't been fighting, you know. Now he wouldn't be making hot sauce at home, you know, bottling it and selling it to the neighbors, you know, that. He came into that business strictly because of this. That hints that not every guy gets that opportunity, and Poirier did. So I think that there's a status there, and uh, you know Chandler hasn't gotten to that. Hopefully, he does after this fight. I really do. I really hope he does. Yeah, that, and that's some interest you say. I mean, if when you're trying to get to that next, you know, I mean, he's upper echelon, but maybe the next tier where you can get some opportunities like you're talking about. Is there pressure on Chandler to win, or is there pressure on Chandler to entertain? Chandler's, Chandler probably is the worst type of pressure in this fight, and that he has to do both. Because, you know, we a, a loss puts his record in the UFC. I, I don't have it in front of me, but he's, he's won some, he's lost some. 
That's not a great place to be in there. You know, Eddie Alvarez did the same thing, left, you know, for for greener pastures at, at some point, but he got the UFC title somewhere in there. Chandler hasn't cracked that yet. I think he had an interim title, but that's not the full-on title. So I don't think I, – I think Chandler, like you pointed out, should very well be hungry for this fight. This is – it's a step up. It is it is the top rung now, you know, of, of, of potential and possibilities and stuff. And this is the time to be your best. And if that comes in and you need to wrestle at some point to get yourself in the W column, you need to weigh that in there too because what you're looking at here is the difference between – going back to the pack or, you know, moving on at, at a different level where every fight you have now, you know, becomes the focus and stuff. Maybe they won't even turn him into that type of star, but you know, that would be the, the torch being passed from McGregor to somebody has to happen at some point. If McGregor loses this, do you think we see him again? It depends. It depends how he loses it. You know, I mean, we saw what happened with the injury. You know, a lot of people, the, the way he handled it from the second it happened was already talking about, you know, coming back and how he wasn't going to go out that way. That wasn't the rhetoric. He wanted to rematch and, he, you know, but it wasn't even a second where it's like, oh, my God, I may not walk again. And, I, you know, let me talk tomorrow, you know. So, yeah, I think McGregor is, like I said, that fighter streak, it'll, it'll, he'll feel the bite to go and and, and and do it again at some point. Um, it'll have to be right. And I think that that, you know, what comes into mind too, what I think what you could really ask there is with a loss, does the UFC cut McGregor? You know, is he a guy who's just, he's lost a few in a row, you know, he's, you know, a few years past his prime, you know, do they let him go? Then you could see him definitely enter that mix of big fights outside of the UFC. He's one of the few guys that could draw at some point there, unless you know things go drastically, drastically wrong for him. Uh, he'll still have some star power after that fight. Now I want to close on something else before I let you go. You know, Fedor just had his fight. He lost to Ryan Bader pretty quickly in Bellator's retirement fight, and we're seeing this a lot with fighters. We saw it with Shogun. The fight didn't go well for him either. What what did you think about his fight, um, Fedor's fight, and also these retirement fights in general? They never, most of them don't seem to have a happy ending for the the person who's going out. <clears throat> it's a you know, it's a very difficult thing because when a guy knows he's he's done, you want to do some type of celebration. But I'll look back at a little bit of history. And when Sugar Ray Robinson fought his last match in uh, Madison Square Garden, they invited him back a month later to do a ceremony. And I think that's telling. And I think it. I think involving the retirement with the fight puts a lot of pressure on everybody. You know, um, the matchmaker is in a very difficult position as well because. You know, if you match make him soft so he gets a win, then you match made him soft so, and he got a win, you know. And most athletes don't want to go out that way. You know, like I think Fedor probably asked for the Bader fight. I don't think Bader wanted to do it. I don't think that, that that's the preferable match that even uh, Coker would have wanted to do there. But I think that Fedor thought he might have a chance in a rematch and that that would be the way to go out. 
It doesn't often work out that way. But the, again, that's where the matchmaking becomes very difficult. Do you let the fighter pick the opponent? Yeah, no, I'd be, I'm very motivated for a Bader fight because of the rematch and, you know, getting that back and stuff. Great, he's motivated. So, I mean, you're checking off boxes that lead you to a fight. But it's a very difficult situation knowing it's his last one. And it puts everybody in a bad spot. So I almost feel like the retirement, you know, if you're going to do it spontaneously or you're going to do it, you've been thinking about it, keep it to yourself before the fights. And then leave your gloves in the ring like you did and retire. And everybody says, oh, retire. Now we can talk about you and the legacy and everything because you're not going to fight again. But leading up to it, I just, I don't like it as a promotional tool. I, I think it, it's it's unnecessary. And, uh, you know, again, like you'd, you'd love to go through the pageantry of Fedor being given a, a, a trophy and having his hand raised and see that one more time. You know, but if he beat, you know, an average or below average guy um, and everybody knows it, that takes away from it too. So it's a very, it's very disturbing to be in that situation. I don't think it's a good thing to be advertising the retirement fights. But they were able to bring out a lot of legends to be there. So maybe that part was good. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I think the UFC can do stuff like that. I wonder, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Bellator made enough money to cover, you know, the expenses of bringing all those people in. And I, I don't mean to joke around or anything like that, but it's nice. But that's what you get. You get a nice evening, nice pictures, nice stuff like that, you know, but. Um, every one of those people, you know, whatever little appearance fee or appearance fee and then the trip and stuff. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Yeah, I'll go to the fights. They all had fun. But that's really all it was. You know, I, you know. The way to celebrate Fedor is not, like I said, now that he's retired, now we can truly start to do tributes if if this was all like, you know, the way things should be, right? Because you've got to start to look back at the, there are people that are MMA fans that don't remember the way the man came up, you know, um, always mild mannered, but he was, you know, the wind streak and, and he was unbeatable for a long time. And that's a shadow of what we saw this other weekend. So now, now that the career's over, now's the time to look back at the totality of it. Um, you can't do that without, you know, the last fight. So I, I don't, I, like I said, I, I think that's, it was nice for them to have all those people, but some of them, you know, Chuck Liddell, it's like, yeah, he's a great fighter, you know, probably belongs on the same level, you know, of respect and historic position, but they have no ties to each other. Why, why is he there? You know? Um, and there were many questions like that. They had a legends night around Fedor's thing. And I think, you know, some of the fanboys, had some fun there, but it, it doesn't amount to anything really big. And I think, you know, if Fedor lay an egg in the ring. Yeah, you know, as a historian that you are, how do you feel about that when you see Fedor, you know, get beat that quickly in his final fight? You personally. <clears throat> you know, I'll let Fedor tell you. I think I, I'm going to misquote him exactly, but... Uh, Fedor said something along the lines of it ended exactly the way it should end. And I think that now that we have it and we can look back at it, here's a guy I consider the greatest that we've seen. You know, from 93 on, in the ring, competition-wise, I think in his prime, he was the best. 
and now he no longer is. I remember, you know, being having access to him, talking to people that were Russian, and they were enamored with him in in such a way like he was the Russian guy that was a champion, and you know he's unbeatable and stuff like that. And I I remember having a conversation that Father Time is going to catch him, and that's the way it worked. And if that's the lesson that Fedor gives us with his great career, other fighters should take that into account. You know, um, and I think that that his words hint at that. I think he's a philosopher in, in inside in Russian that you'd get real real thought from him. So I'll I'll just leave it at his words. It happened exactly the way it needed to happen. Yeah, I think you know, as fans and other people, they kind of, you know, because they just saw it happen to Shogun. They kind of feel like the retirement fight announcement, as you were saying, doesn't make any sense to do because a lot of times it's not a celebration, really. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, there's not a Hall of Fame. There's not any organization in any way, shape, or form like that. So retirement is is retirement for these guys. Unless they've got a gig in the business, like, you know, announcing or, you know, doing commentary or things like that, which very few do, then they're looking at a a step back from the limelight and that, you know, so when you approach them and they're like, okay, you know, I, you know, you got a couple fights on your contract, but you've lost a few in a row, whatever. And then, you know, all right, I, I, I want to do one more and then I'll retire. But that it's at that moment that the fighters made public his retirement. And at that moment, the promoters have said, okay, we'll use that to promote the fight. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that it starts that the fighters should always, consider that retirement something very private and that you know you know what i got three fights left i got two fights left keep you know keep some of that to yourself not everybody you know needs to be public with that stuff and then if you retire at like if Ador had just done the fight and then retired then we might have been missed a, a few photos in the ring with some legends and things like that but I think it almost would have been a little bit more of an elegant way to go out than to have him take his peers and have him look bad in front of him. You know, it's just a, and so I, yeah, I, I just think it's not the right thing to celebrate. It's not the right time. Like I'm a, like I said, in boxing, the Sugar Ray example is a good example. They celebrated a month later. A month later, they bought Beto, uh, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson's nemesis, uh, Basilio, uh, uh the, uh, the the fighter from Utah, my boxing is a little rusty, but they bought four of his greatest opponents and they did a ceremony where they were in each corner and he was in the middle and they kind of approached him and everybody and they gave him a trophy. This was a month later. And here it's like Fedor's retiring and you want everything to go gloriously on the day of a fight. And we know fights are chaos. So yeah, I think I think the, the retirement fight should be announced by the fighter when they feel it. And it shouldn't be used for promotion. And if they retire, then you promote afterwards. But that's all being done wrong in MMA. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, it's a good point that uh, people watching this, you know, I think that's a good idea. The way you put it is not to announce it. And then maybe a month later. Or, you yeah. know, the next Bellator <laughs> show. You have Fedor right, back, right. you have, exactly. you know, you, have, you you do something, you know, commemorative and thank him for everything he's done. Not like, hey, you know, we got together and a great party, but uh, you'd lost, you know, there's just, it's, it's an uncomfortable feeling, you know, how there's no one really, except maybe the men they invited, that 
should address Fedor about that and that the emotion of losing a fight in his career and stuff like that because he has no peers except for maybe those men. You know what I mean? So it's like, who can he talk to about the emotions and things like that? I think I think you need to give him some time to deal with that. I think in the event right now, you know, it's it's very it's just I think he went out a little sad. I think it was a little sad showing, and it wasn't a great moment for MMA. Yeah, and kind of like Hua as well, you know, Shogun. Yeah, I, I, exactly. You know, and in, in the UFC with their broadcasting and stuff, and um, their control, you got actually you got to see less with Rua. I think Frankie Edgar might fall into that category too, um, you know, but they managed their production a lot better. But, you know, with Bellator, it, it was the focus. They had nothing else on the show except for that was the main thing. That was what they ran the show on, on and stuff like that. I mean, obviously they had a full card, but what were they promoting? Only Fedor. And, you know, all of that just makes for – I guess the modern term is a cringe moment. It's like, how can you, you know, ugh, ugh. so yeah, that's how I feel about Fedor. And not the way I would have liked to have seen him go out, the goat. Well, I think it's a good thing to end on, a good lesson for people that, you know, that are watching this. And uh, as always, Miguel, I appreciate you taking time to do this and uh, everyone watching this until next time. Take care. Thank you very much, Todd. All right, so as always, uh, I want to thank you for taking time to listen to this uh, episode. And uh, as I said at the beginning, uh, if you really like my content, follow my YouTube channel because uh, that's where I'm really going to uh, focus most of the live content. And I put all of it there as well. So I'll still be updating these and I'll try to be better about doing them like more frequently rather than just dumping a bunch of episodes in one day or something. But uh, I'm going to put out like three or four today, so I'm going to try to get as many up as I can and as always I want to thank anyone who takes the time to listen to these episodes uh, in any uh, variation take care